So this morning we continue our study in Proverbs by looking at the topic of friendship. And as we begin, I want to open this up, actually, and ask you what, what you think makes a good friend. What, what are characteristics that make a good friend? That's open for anybody to chime in on. Care. Care? Good. Loyalty. Loyalty. Yeah, that's a good one. Loyalty. Yeah, nice. Just jotting all these down. I like these. Good. Compassion. Compassion. All right. Yeah. Nice hair. Yes, that's important as well. Yes. I got you. I got you. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Very good. All right. Yeah, those are those are all good. All good characteristics that that we hope to be, and that we hope others would would be to us. And if you're familiar with Proverbs, you may remember it's that this book is not silent on what makes for a good friend. And, and again, like I'd mentioned, this is an important issue because. Not only do we want to have good friends, but we also want to be a good friend. There's a song on one of the albums that, that my daughter likes. Um, it's, it's actually based off of Proverbs. It's called Walking with the Wise. It's, it's a children's album, but it's really good. I, I, I like it. I like just listening to it um, as well. But there's a, uh, a song in there called A Good Friend, and... The chorus of it, I'm not going to sing it, so to spare you that, but, but I will give you what it, it says. And, and the chorus goes like this, a good friend, a true friend, a here-to-help-you-through friend, a strong friend, a kind friend, a you-can-have-what's-mine friend, a best friend, a sure friend, a humble and a pure friend, Lord, I want to be a good friend. Um, so I, it's just a really encouraging song. Like the more that I've listened to it, I'm like, it becomes a prayer of, of my own heart and I hope for my daughters as well. But those are the type of friends that we want and that is the type of friend I hope that we want to be, that we desire to be. Now, what we're going to look at this morning from Proverbs, as you see there on your notes, are three factors that are central to redemptive friendships and when I say redemptive friendships, we're talking about friendships that are united to Christ. Okay, friendships that are united to Christ. We'll talk, as you can see on your outline there, when we get to the end, we'll talk about how do, how do we have friendships with unbelievers? And should we have friendships with unbelievers? And we'll talk about that as we get to the end. But we're going to focus primarily on these um, three factors that are central to redemptive friendships. And the first one there on your notes is a friend gives earnest counsel, okay? And the passage that we'll look at here is Proverbs 27.9. If somebody can read that for us. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Okay. Um, I think all of us would testify, right, that throughout our lives, we're forced to make many major decisions, right? Um, where am I going to go to college? Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to work? Uh, is, it, is it time to change jobs yet? Um, 
If you're a parent, how do we discipline and educate our children? Uh, should we buy a house? If so, how much? Right? Uh, how should we invest our money? Um, all, of, all of these things come at us, right? We've got to make decisions that are, that are wise and good. And, and besides those really big things, then you just have the normal day-to-day decisions that you have to make that may not be as monumental as the ones that I just described, but are nonetheless significant and, and important. Proverbs 15.22 tells us something very important as we think about decisions. It says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. And the point in us making decisions is we want to make wise decisions. And the point of us making plans is we want to make plans that are going to succeed, right? Hopefully we're not making plans so that we can set ourselves up for failure, right? But sometimes if we're left to our own counsel, that's what ends up happening, right? This, this passage teaches us the importance of people coming alongside of us and helping us to make decisions uh, that, are, that are wise. And so as we think about Proverbs 27, 9, we see there the advice of the wisdom that comes from having a friend who gives earnest counsel. And when we talk about this earnest counsel, we're talking about this sincere, selfless counsel, right? It's not governed by anything. It doesn't have ill intentions. It's really thinking about the other person and having their best interests in mind. It's not trite counsel. It's not offered in haste, right? It's it's thoughtful, wise, godly counsel. And it keeps in line with what the scriptures teach. That's where it's generated from, right? So although there's many decisions that we make or that we have to make, that we can't turn to an exact chapter in verse 4. We have biblical principles to guide us along, to help us to make wise decisions. And sometimes those are difficult to figure out. And so we need others to bear in and to, and to help us to think through things. And that's the blessing of having good friends, wise counselors. Uh, a good friend is not going to be somebody who necessarily gives you just that quick answer. There are times where we have to make decisions that need a quick response, but there are other times where we want to pull back and say, you know what, give me some time to digest what you've shared with me, and and let me reflect on that a little bit, and then give you what I hope would be helpful counsel, right? Sometimes we can just be like, well, I just got to get some counsel out there for this person, rather than saying, you know what, give me some time to back up on that and think through that a little bit, because I want to help you. I genuinely want to help you. I don't want to just give you something off the cuff um, all the time. Like I said, sometimes it does require more of an immediate response. That's the type of uh, a friend that we want, one who gives that earnest counsel. And such counsel, as we saw back there in Proverbs 27.9, that, that type of counsel is so rare that it's, it's considered to be of this quality of the most precious and delightful treasures of the ancient world, right? Oil and perfume make the heart glad. These things were rare and beautiful. And the, the writer of the Proverbs here likens that to the sweetness of a friend coming from his earnest counsel. And something that's important as we think about this is um, 
the, the, the best part of true friendship is not that we just get somebody who mirrors ourself, right? Who's just going to kind of be a sounding board for us almost. And who's just going to agree with everything that we say, right? It's going to be somebody who thinks through and at times even pushes back on us a little bit. Earnest counsel will point out where we may be thinking wrongly in regard to an issue or a circumstance or a decision, right? It, it, that, that type of counsel will introduce factors that maybe we haven't considered or that we haven't considered seriously enough. And sometimes, listen, this earnest counsel may be difficult to hear at the first, right? But when wisely given and humbly received, we discover with joy that it's one of the elements that makes redemptive friendship so pleasant. It's to have that type of friend who's willing to give you that counsel, even at times that is difficult for you to hear in that moment. It's a friend that we all need. And we'll get to that, why that is here in, in a couple minutes. Okay? So some translations render Proverbs 27.9 here. Um, the word uh, pleasant or uh, the, the word sweetness as pleasant. Okay? That's the type of friend that we want. This pleasant, sweet friend who is willing to walk alongside us in this area of giving earnest counsel. Now, that leads into our second point, and we also want a friend who gives trustworthy correction. So we want one who gives earnest counsel. We want one who gives trustworthy correction. And that correction is similar to counsel um, in the sense that both of them involve speaking the truth in love, right? That's what we see in Ephesians 4.15. Yet there's a difference between them, and it's important to understand this. Uh, counsel generally helps us from heading down the wrong path in some particular area, right? So before we make that decision, we have counsel coming in to help us to think about it so we don't get on that path and start to travel down that road. Correction is a little bit different in the sense that it joins you on that wrong path and says we need to get off. You're already on it, okay? So it's a decision that's already made. It's a lifestyle that's already been engaged in. And that friend comes alongside to help correct your understanding of that which you are dealing with. It's, it, it calls for a need for change. In other words, where typically the goal of counsel is to prevent something bad, the goal of correction is to restore something to good. Okay? Now, Proverbs 27.6 speaks to this. So I can have somebody read that for us. Okay, very important passage here. Now, you can probably think, what, what, what's the greatest example that you can think of based on this proverb? Okay, think about Jesus and who? Judas, right? Why do you betray me with a kiss? Right, is what Jesus said, said to Judas. So, this passage here, it contrasts how true friends 
and enemies who are posing as friends respond to us when we are in the wrong. The true friend is able to look at our lives with a biblical, God-centered worldview, right? That's the type of friends that we want. It's somebody that's immersed in the word, they understand that, and when they speak, they're going to speak from the principles that they have in the word of God. And if we're on the wrong path, he or she is able to look into that, right, or look at that situation that we're in, and they're able to give us that truth that we need to hear, right? That, that simple, unambiguous reality of the situation that we, have find, that we find ourselves in. There's, there's no quarrel in their mind. They understand, I love this person, and the greatest thing that I can do for them is to come alongside them and help them to see the error that they are in. Now, that takes courage, doesn't it? Right? We've all been in those situations where, like, I have to have this conversation, and it's a conversation that I really don't want to have right now. But because I really love this person and want to help them, I have to say this, and I pray that I can say it in a way that is humble and helpful to that person. And this is the benefit of having these redemptive type of friendships. When, when you see a brother or sister in a situation like that, or when they see you in a situation like that, there's only one proper response, as we see it here in Proverbs 26. Wounds, right? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Those wounds are in the form of verbal correction or even rebuke, and they've become necessary, right, at, the, at, this, at this point. Uh, there, there's no pretending the point is not serious. Uh, a person can look at that and discern and say, something needs to be done here. I've got to step in and say something. But the way that that's done, right, Galatians is really helpful when it talks about this aspect of when you see a brother or sister in sin, how you're to do that, how you're to go to them, is in a state of gentleness, right? Because you recognize who's giving the counsel. And sometimes that can hinder us, can it? It's like, well, well who, who am I? I've got all kinds of things going on in my life, right, that, that others could speak into. So who am I to open my mouth uh, for that? And yet this is the way that the Lord has set it up. Sinners counseling other sinners, pointing us to the sinless one, Right? And so we want to be like that doctor that, that when you walk in, they recognize you've got a broken bone and this is going to hurt, but it's going to be helpful in the long run. Or, or you walk in and you realize you've got a serious disease going on in your body. This is going to require surgery and it's going to be painful and the recovery time may be painful, but it's necessary. If I don't intervene right now, you'll die, Right? So those things are, are difficult, and what this passage teaches us here in Proverbs 27, 6, is that a friend's wounds are better suffered sooner rather than later, right? That, that, that hard word that you have to give to a friend or that a friend has to give to you is better done now than postponing it, right? Because it's only going to get worse as we continue to go along. And when you just think about the analogy, right? When you think about the analogy of kind of like that doctor analogy, there's a sickness here, and, and you walk in, and the doctor's like, this is going to be hard news that I have to give this patient. And then if the doctor backs up and says, I can't do it, it's just going to be too difficult to give this type of news, that isn't going to benefit the patient at all. As a matter of fact, it's going to make it worse, 
for that patient. That patient walks away thinking that things are okay when they're really not. The best thing and, and, and the responsibility that that doctor has is to intervene now. And so much more in our spiritual lives, right? We want to we, we gently enter in as quickly as we can to help that person get off that path that they are currently on, forced. I was going to say that's a very, actually very loving attitude. Yes. And it's a lot like our New Testament Greek word agape. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Doing what's right for the person. Yes. That's right. Amen. Yes. We want to stay away from the wounds and we want to embrace those profuse kisses. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And you bring up a good point, George, because even even when we're we're dealing genuinely with brothers and sisters in the faith, and they're dealing with us, um, hopefully we're not seeing anybody as our enemy. <laughs> you know, in the in the faith, that's a real problem if we are. Um, but we can still have those tendencies to just kind of want to give those kisses rather than to deal with the reality of what we actually need to deal with, right? <laughs> right, yes, exactly. Okay, so as Forrest mentions, this, this wounding is really an act of redemptive love when, when we step in. And you can probably think about your own life, words that you've had to say to others and words that people have, have said to you that initially... They, they sting a little bit. They expose our, our sin. They, they cause us to see where we truly are. But hopefully, down the road, you look back at it and you say, thank you for speaking into my life at that point. You demonstrated that you truly loved me because you saw an error in my ways and you didn't leave me on that, on that path. The person who is an enemy, on the other hand, who, who's operating from a false, man-centered worldview and often after his own gain through this friendship in some way, that person is just going to misrepresent the nature of the path that we are on. Instead of corrections, they're going to give kisses, these seductive words, these flattering compliments that really dull our vision and drive us further down that false path that we are, that we are on. Uh, these are curses masquerading as blessings. And they don't deal with the situation rightly. They only delay that pain and inevitably it, be, it, gets, it gets worse. Uh, 19th century pastor Charles Bridges gives what he considers the nature of a true friend. I put this up here on the screen. I thought it was really good. He said, what is the friend who will be a real blessing to my soul? Is it enough that he will humor my fancies and flatter my vanity? Is it enough that he loves my person and would spend his time and energies in my service? This comes far short of my requirement. And then notice his own confession here. I am a poor straying sinner with, at times, a wayward will and a blinded heart, right? Even, even as those who are regenerated, we still err, right? We're still prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? And that's what Bridges is testifying to. I need that friend. Why? Because I'm a poor, straying sinner, right? He's just recognizing his position. It's a state of humility, right? If we think that I, I don't need any counsel outside of myself, that's a big issue, right? That's a big issue of pride, that goes on there. Hopefully you feel, I, I need lots of these type of friends in my life. 
because at times I don't see things rightly. I have a wayward will and a blinded heart. And he goes on, he says, the friend for my case is one who will watch over me with open rebuke. A reporter, when needful, not a flatterer. The genuineness of a friendship without this mark is more than doubtful. Its usefulness utterly paralyzed. So what Bridges is getting at here is if you've just got friends who are doing nothing but complimenting you all the time, you don't have enough good friends in your life, (laughs) right? Because we're prone to go astray. And we need those who would lovingly walk with us, sinners walking with other sinners, seeking to just point us to the Savior consistently in the counsel and wisdom of his word. So I think that's a helpful, helpful point that Bridges brings out there. Okay, All right, so we have the friend who gives earnest counsel, the friend who gives trustworthy correction, and now third there on your note, a friend is also one who gives consistent comfort. And Proverbs 17, 17 is a helpful passage as we think about this. Somebody want to read that for us? A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Okay, good. So, counsel and correction are applied in specific circumstances, right, depending on the, on the need. Uh, when, when I'm trying to choose a path, a true friend is going to come along and offer sound counsel as I consider that. When I'm on the wrong path, a true friend is going to intervene with loving correction. But Proverbs 17.17 tells us what such a friend does under all circumstances, whether that be in a state of counsel or a state of correction. This friend loves at all times, and a brother brother is born for adversity. At, at, At all times, even in adversity, a friend offers comfort. And in the Hebrew here, that phrase at all times is placed at the beginning of this proverb to emphasize its centrality to it, right? Um, That counsel, that correction is an extension of that person's love towards you. And Proverbs 17, 17, therefore, gives us a way of discerning whether our friendships are truly brotherly. Uh, Those who continue to offer comfort faithfully during Seasons of adversities are friends in the truest, most biblical sense. Uh, 19th century Scottish minister William Arnott explains this power of adversity in identifying a true friend. And he says this, Many will court you while you have much to give. When you need to receive, the number of your friends will be diminished, but their quality will be improved. Your misfortune, right, so you see how this is digressing here, your misfortune, like a blast of wind upon the thrashed corn, will drive the chaff away, but the wheat will remain where it was. How very sweet sometimes is the human friendship that remains when sore adversity has sifted it, right? In other words, you find out who's, who your friends are in situations like that, right? Not when you've got everything to give and everything's going great in your life and there's not Uh, messy things going on, but one who will bear with you in all of those situations. So those who, despite the 
harsh winds of adversity faithfully remain by your side to offer comfort during those times are, are, are true friends. Uh, those, and those are the type of friends that we want to be, right? We can all get so easily caught up in our own lives, right? And just what's going on. There's a lot going on in, in, in our lives. And we can often get so um, fixated on ourselves that we lose sight of what others are going through around us. And when we can comfort others like this, or when others comfort us, it really fulfills what Paul says in Galatians 6, 2, where he counsels us, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's interesting that um, how that, uh, they would have understood that, and how that terminology is set up. That, that word burden, something heavy that's, that's upon your back, and what Paul has in mind here is one who comes alongside another and bears that burden. So that big heavy sack that would be on somebody's back that they're, let's say, walking home with, a friend comes alongside right by the side and takes half that weight on themselves to ease that person's burden as they continue to walk together. And that, so that's what, that's what Paul has in mind. We come into each other's lives and we think, how can I enter in here and help relieve this burden? How can I help lift this burden off of this person and what they're going through, right? So th- those are the type of friends that we want. And when we think about biblical examples, a really good one is when you look at the friendship between Jonathan and David uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. If you remember David, who was anointed by God to be king over Israel, he posed a threat to the enthroned monarch of, of that time, the very unstable King Saul. And Saul's arrogance before God had disqualified him from reigning, yet he clung to his position, uh, hating and fearing the favor of God resting on David. So for many years, Saul relentlessly pursued David, seeking to, to kill him. And on many occasions during that season, David felt that he did not have a friend in the world and that his entire life was collapsing around him. But in the midst of this dire adversity that that he was in, God supplied David with the friendship of Jonathan, right? And and how unique that is. Jonathan, the son of Saul, to come alongside and to comfort David during these difficult adversities that he was uh, dealing with. And when you think about Jonathan's situation, right, he, he could have just rested in his place of royal privilege, right? Much like Moses could have just rested in Pharaoh's house and not dealt with the, the people of Israel and all that, they were, all that they were going through. But Jonathan jumps in and he, and he comes alongside David during these difficult, and, and to his own peril, right? The danger to himself of, of coming alongside and, and uniting with, with David in, in spite of his father's adversity against him. You know, you think about the risks that Jonathan took to remain loyal. So what you mentioned there about the aspect of loyalty uh, of, of this man that his own father sought to kill. And you think about the comfort that that was to David during those seasons, to have a brother born for adversity, to have one that he could rely on. And so it's really helpful for us as we consider what a true friend uh, looks like. Comfort is something that all of us consistently need, right? 
I mean, just think about this past week for yourself. Think about the battles against sin that you have dealt with and how a timely word from a friend can build you up and strengthen you in that. And also, hopefully, it helps us to think about how can I come alongside those around me and comfort them as we continue to fight against the sin that remains. And comfort is ultimately derived right from the Lord, right? It's the comfort that the Lord shows to us that enables us to be comforters to those who are around us. So the the pursuit and practice of counsel, correction, and comfort are really indispensable to not only the creation um, of redemptive friendships, but also the maintenance of it, the the consistent day-in and day-out markers that make up a, a true friendship. Now, I want to mention one additional verse from Proverbs that helps us see how friendship can be redemptive, and that's in Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Somebody want to read that for us? Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. So the writer probably was thinking here of one of these pieces of iron as a sword or a knife, and the other piece of iron as a sharpening stone. An effective cutting edge, of course, is not sharpened by constant coddling, right? But by the periodic, skillful application of constructive, applicable force, right? right? It's necessary for those things to keep banging against each other in order for that sword or that knife to become effective. And so this verse presents really this vivid vivid image of a blade, one person, being sharpened by the force of direct contact with a sharpening stone, the other person, right? As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. We recognize from this, I hope, that we cannot be isolationists within Christianity, right? That we need one another, that I'm going to get dull. And by that, I mean, I'm going to get lazy and I'm going to be short-sighted about my own sin. I'm not going to have others who can speak into my life and help me. But when I'm in community, when I'm with brothers and sisters, you have that constant bumping, right? That constant sharpening that happens here. And such sharpening can take many forms. Uh, Like I said, where the blade of one's life is dull, the sharpening of a friend may feel like strong correction at times, right? And and at times like that, we'll do well to remember David's testimony in Psalm 141, verse 5. Think about this response here that he says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. (laughs) Who of us says that when we're rebuked? And yet, David's saying, it's almost a prayer. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. Again, that's the position. When, when we understand our own hearts and we understand how we easily go astray in so many areas of our, our life, we, we pray for friends like this who would come and speak into our lives and who would do so in a way that would be helpful for us. Not somebody that's just vindictive who's looking to point out all of our faults, right? But somebody who genuinely loves us and cares for us and seeks to come alongside of us and speak into our lives. So that's what it can look like, that sharpening, that's what it can look like through strong correction. But, but 
but when we don't need that correction, um, that sharpening can feel more like counsel, right? People just kind of coming alongside of us and helping us think through life to navigate it rightly. It's not that we're on the wrong path, it's that we're trying to stay on the right path and not head down onto paths that, that we ought not to. And so it's good for us to think about this question. Do you have a friend who offers that type of counsel, that type of correction, that type of comfort? Is there a righteous man or woman in your life who knows how to sharpen the edge of your faith? Again, only the proud refuse these things, as we all do sometimes. And and only those who have gone to be with Christ are beyond the need of them. So in humility, we ought to seek such friends and and let them serve us in that way. We want to guard ourselves against becoming experts in internalizing pain and deflecting offers of help, right? We can often think, I I don't need any help. We can have two mindsets on that. One is, I don't want to burden everybody else around me with my issues. Everybody else has got enough going on in their lives, and I think that's probably the, the vein that most of us can fall into, right? is, man, everybody else, they, they really got a lot of stuff going on. Mine is minimal in comparison, maybe, right? But the other one is that we can just become proud and think that we've got it all figured out and to think that there's nobody that we need to speak into our, our lives. We can often take the, the mentality that I have the Lord and that's enough. And yet the, the Lord says exactly the opposite in his word. He says you need friends like this. They are the extension of Christ to you to help you in these ways. So we, we want to be humble. We want to acknowledge our need. We want to be grateful to God for his provision of these faithful, redemptive friendships. And equally important, we want to seek to be such friends to others because the battle against sin never ends. We need friends like this until our last breath who will help us and be used by God in our lives to conform us more into the image of his son. Now, our need for redemptive human friendship is real, and it's vitally important. Uh, Christ-like friends, again, as I said, are, are gifts from God to us who remind us of Christ, and they point us to Christ. But as good and rich and pleasing to God as these relationships can be, there, they, we have to be careful also that we don't turn that into an idol and allow that to replace the greatest relationship that we want to cultivate and harvest, and that is our relationship with the Lord. We don't want to allow our friends to become gods to us. Right? That's the other side of the, of the coin there. You can see how easily we swing from one side of the pendulum to the next we need the friendship of our Lord Jesus consistently. Uh, Jesus brings all the blessings of friendship in their highest forms. Listen, he is the friend who provides continual earnest counsel through his word. He is the friend who rebukes and corrects you perfectly in love. right? And he's the friend who provides us with the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus Christ is the friend who sticks with us at all times because he has promised never to leave us or forsake us and promises to be with us to the very end of the age. Now, 
when we think about the friendship of Jesus Christ, sometimes we can almost think that's irreverent or inappropriate, like to say that Jesus is my friend, right? So like, he's not, he's the holy God of the universe. What do you mean he's your friend, right? But, right, yeah, so, so we have to be careful how we think through that, but we don't want to dismiss the reality that Jesus is the one who actually said this himself. He talked about us in this sense in John 15, 12 through 15, if somebody wants to read that for us. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Okay, good. So, Jesus is that one. Who, he's he's the, the best, greatest, surest, wisest, most faithful friend we will ever know. And our earthly friendships reflect only the smallest fraction of the glory of his heavenly and divine friendship, right? It's the friendship of the Son towards those for whom he died that is primary essential and definitive. So of all the friendships we seek to cultivate and maintain, make that one the prior the primary primary one. All right, let me with the little time that we have left here, let's look at this last section on um, sh- should we have non-Christian friends, right? We've been speaking a lot about redemptive friendships and by that as I defined <laughs> at the beginning Friendships that are in Christ, that are united to Christ, that we're both thinking the same way, we're both going to the same word, having our minds renewed together. But what about non-Christian friends? Well, we see in the, in the scriptures that God calls us to be salt and light in this world. And one way that we do that is by befriending those outside of Christ. Uh, we're called to make disciples of all nations. And the first step in that process is through proclaiming the gospel to those who are lost. Now, that's going to show up in various ways, but one way certainly ought to be through our friendship with the lost. We actually ought to seek to have friendships with those who don't know Christ because we seek to be used by God in their lives to bring them to the truth of the gospel. Paul told, told the Colossians in Colossians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So when we think about having non-Christian friends, walking in wisdom is the key. Uh, We must not think that we're not going to be tempted as we interact with the lost, especially in terms of friendship, right? We don't want to have this idea that we can just let our guards down. I'm in Christ. It doesn't matter who I associate with. They won't affect me, right? That's not the way that we're to think about that. We need to think wisely about how we interact and the, and the types of friendships that we cultivate with those who don't know Christ. We, we must guard ourselves from thinking that we're somehow now above being influenced by them to slowly turn back to sinful ways or sinful patterns in our lives. Proverbs has laid this truth out in in many different ways as we've gone through this study. Um, But I want to just mention a couple passages here in Proverbs that kind of help us 
to think about the wisdom that we need as we interact and as we engage in relationships with those outside of Christ. And the first one is Proverbs 22, verses 24 through 25. If somebody can read that for us. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. Okay, good. So this, this passage, right, brings out for us the reality that we can be led astray and that it can happen very slowly, almost imperceptibly. And, and we see that in what this passage says. The warning here is, is to not learn his ways, right? And so there's a pattern here, this, this learning. It's just not like you come into contact with a, a man of this character and immediately you become like him. It's, it's something that can happen over time. And we can be pulled away over time in that direction. You know, we can have great intentions in making friends with unbelievers. And hopefully all of those intentions are centered on one thing. I want this person to taste and see that the Lord is good. That they would come to know the forgiveness that is in Christ alone. But we need to be diligent in guarding our hearts as we do this. So we just have to be wise. And again, this is where it's helpful in the body of Christ. To say, hey, listen, I got a coworker who's an unbeliever. I've been interacting with them. Um, I've invited them over for, for dinner. Or they've invited me to, to go out with them. What, what are your thoughts on that? How, how, should, how do you think I should interact with something like that? Okay. Um, so it, it's helpful to bounce these type of ideas off of other people. Because we recognize that, listen, we can go down the wrong path. Right? We can have good intentions but we can let our guard down a little too much and we can walk into a situation that's ultimately going to be more harmful than it is helpful, not only for ourselves, but maybe also for this, this, other, this other person. Okay, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, I remember when I first came to Christ and I were visiting like, this church and uh, they were meeting on this point exactly. And at the time, they were kind of doing this illustration. They had somebody standing on a chair, somebody on the ground. Yeah. And I, I thought it was pretty corny at the time. <coughs> but like, um, one was trying to pull them up. And yeah. how difficult it was, and the other one pulled them down and showed how simple it was. So I was trying to drive the point that when you are with uh, friends who are unbelievers, it's a lot easier to fall into yeah. their ways than you kind of bring them and, kind of, you know, um, influence. <coughs> so when you are walking with those unbeliever friends, they were mentioning, like, how much more uh, intentionality there has to be, like you're saying, like, even letting other people from your church know, yeah. pray for this person, yep. how can I be engaged with this person, so there is that level of even further intentionality. Yeah, and, and if, let's say if you've got a group of coworkers and you've been witnessing to some of them and they invite you to come out or whatever the case may be, and if you're able, bring another believer with you, right, for, for accountability, you know, purposes. Um, you know, if it's just, you know, you just having a coworker over, you know, for, for dinner, it'd be a little awkward then to bring a gang of Christians, you know, you know around that may be a little, a little too much at that point. There may come a time for that, but, um, but yeah, we, we, we want to think through wisely, you know, recognizing that again, we have great intentions to do these things, but we recognize again, the weakness of our own heart and the susceptibility that we have to give into these type of temptations. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's one passage that I think is helpful. And then one more here, uh, Proverbs 24, verses 21 and 22. Somebody want to read that for us? 
rise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Okay, so again, here we see the danger of communing with those who do not fear the Lord or the king, that is, those who rebel against authority, they seek to oppose it. Um, and, and again, you have this aspect of um, joining with them. It's very similar to what we saw back in Proverbs 1, when, when they come alongside you and they say, hey, cast in your lot with us, join us in this way. So there's this intentionality that's here. But what we want to understand is that that joining may not happen immediately, but again, can happen over time and slowly and almost imperceptibly. So again, we want to just make sure that we guard ourselves here. Uh, we, we want to make sure that we don't get caught up in their ways and suffer the consequences um, of doing so. Again, there's a great need to watch over our hearts as we engage, engage with those outside of Christ. Um, again, we want to be that salt and light, but we want to do so with, with wisdom. Jeremy. Paul brings this out in his instructions to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be unequally yoked with believers. That's right. What, uh, what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? So we use that with marriage, but it can be friendships. It can Definitely. be business partnerships. Giving them, yep. Being in a situation where they have that power and that influence like you're talking about here in the Proverbs. That's right. Amen. Good, good uh, cross-reference there. Okay. All right, so... As, as we think about this aspect of interacting with unbelievers, hopefully, you know, just from looking at these couple passages and then the many other passages that we've looked at about the warning of joining um, with those and a great passage that Jeremy just mentioned, it really highlights the need evermore for the necessity of, of being rooted in the word, being rooted in prayer, being, being rooted in, in fellowship uh, so that we can make sure that we're walking wisely in those, in those relationships. Okay? That is all I have. I've got five minutes left. George. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. Very good. Good. Cool. We visited Galatians 6 earlier, bear yep. one another's burdens. Later on in that chapter, um, verse 9 tells us to uh, let's not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap it. Uh, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And then verse 10, so then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Talk about coming alongside those of us in the body. Yes, amen. 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 Well said. Well said. All right. Any other any other comments? Hopefully that was that was helpful as we think about uh, friendships. Well, let me go ahead and close this then. If there's no other no other thoughts, okay. All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for this time in your Word and and the study of it. And Father, we thank you so much for what there's the wisdom that you pour out to us in your Word. Uh, to help us to walk in a manner that is, that is pleasing to you. Father, how thankful we are that you have sent your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, we have gone from being enemies of you to being made friends. And how we thank you and we praise you for that. So Father, help us to think about our own lives with the friends that are around us. And also, Father, 
of the friend that we desire to be to those who are around us, both those in the body of Christ and those outside, and that you would give us wisdom as we walk through all of these uh, situations, Lord. We thank you again for this time, and I pray that you would bless us now as we head into the service to continue to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen.